the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's unofficial Super Bowl financial preview is brought to you by The Athletic. Get all your last-minute Super Bowl news, roster updates, inactives, you know it, even some financial information at theathletic.com. And if you visit theathletic.com slash track right now, you can get 40% off your subscription, yearly subscription, using our track promo code. My name is Mike Giannetti. Happy Super Bowl Eve. I, uh, I'm popping in for a quick emergency show here just to sort of break down some of the numbers. Um, we, sort of, we sort of dropped the ball and didn't get to that too much these past couple of shows because there was just plenty to go around right now with, uh, you know, the NBA and the Kobe situation, of course, and, uh, you know, even the, uh, the tail end of the Major League Baseball free agency kicking in, too. So there's been plenty to talk about, um, and, and we're going to try to keep it all football here and fly through these teams. Really what I'm going to do here is I'm going to break down sort of position by position how the Chiefs, how the 49ers are essentially entering the Super Bowl, what their outlooks are maybe after the season, so after, you know, after Sunday's big game, what does it mean for Jimmy Garoppolo, what does it mean for Matt Breida, those kind of things. I'm, I'm going to try to go position by position and bring up any notable point, any notable number, and uh, give you the juice. So we'll, uh, we'll get rolling here. Like I said, I'm going to start with the quarterbacks. Um, not too much to say that hasn't already been said. I kind of want to focus on Jimmy more than than Mahomes because, you know, the mass media and us included have done so much on Patrick Mahomes and what's to come with his contract, and there's really no debating it. I think when the new when the new CBA hits and is finalized, as long as there's not any specific new language that stops, you know, the the fourth-year rookie from signing an extension, which I can't imagine would happen, Mahomes is getting a new deal pretty much you know, as, as soon thereafter as possible. And it's going to be upwards of 40 million a year. It's going to be upwards of 120 million guaranteed. All those numbers we've talked about. So there's really not much more to say there until things start to get in motion. And like I said, that's probably going to hinge upon the new CBA. So, which by the way, does sound good. They're, they're making progress. I'm sure they're far apart on a couple of those major issues, um, rookie contracts, things like that, but we'll see. It does sound like that's at least getting closer and closer. Do I think it's going to get here before the free agent season, the league year starts? I don't. So I think all the rules we've been talking about, all these, you know, the no, no post June 1st dead cap, all that stuff. I think all that stuff's going to be in place when the league year starts on March 18th. So let's kind of shelve the Mahomes discussion a little bit here because it's, it sort of is what it is and we'll take it with a grain of salt until more happens. But Jimmy's pretty interesting. Um, Look, this was a an eye-popping deal after an eye-popping trade and a couple of really nice starts. And then, of course, the injury last year really took us all down on Jimmy. It was just, uh, you know, that. And then in, starting into 2019 with a bad preseason game, <laughs> everybody collectively just sort of went, ooh, right? Like, well, what happened here? What did the 49ers do? Um, they've got this great roster on paper, and is he going to be the, the reason that they don't win? Well, that certainly wasn't the case because here we are talking about them in the Super Bowl. Um, and and say what you want about that NFC Championship performance and, and how they ran the heck out of the ball and, and really didn't use Jimmy at all. That's fine. That's just a Kyle Shanahan philosophy right now. He's playing this one game at a time. Um, he saw the weakness in the interior line there and just exploited it play after play. And there's nothing wrong with that. To me, that's not a knock on Jimmy Garoppolo. It's an absolute tip of the cap to Kyle Shanahan for not only, um, you know, seeing that, projecting that, but sticking with it, you know, not trying to get cute. There there was no cuteness to that NFC championship game. It was put your head down and go. And they're here because of it. So I I don't want to put the, any, any, I don't think that should downplay Jimmy Garoppolo's status whatsoever. If you, if you don't think he can do, 404 touchdowns at any point in time of his career, that's fine. I think we're going to see that. And, you know, not in the Super Bowl, but I think we're going to see that. I think he's, you know, he's just still getting his feet wet wet as a starting quarterback, to be quite frank. He's a second-year, third-year rookie. When you talk about his actual playing time, yes, he's 28 going on 29, but to me that's a benefit, right, because he has been standing behind Tom Brady. He has – he did have that year off to get – you know, mentally acclimated with Kyle Shanahan's philosophy and his system. I, I just think, if anything, we're a year early on this Garoppolo offense, and 2020 should be more of more of better with Jimmy. 
That's what I think. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say he's going to be a 404 touchdown kind of guy at any point in time, but it's certainly possible. And I think when Shanahan needs it, uh, he's going to rely on Jimmy to go and do it. All that said, he's still got three years left in this contract. It's three years and about $78 million in this contract. Under $30 million a year. Um, it's a steal. They front-loaded it handsomely. As we've talked about many times, it was $42 million that first year. It was $61 million over the first two. So the, the blunt, the, you know, the, uh, most of that $137 million has been paid out. Let's be fair. It's a, it's a really nice deal for the next three years. Generally speaking, you don't see contracts ripped up with three years remaining. So I don't think, even if he wins the Super Bowl tomorrow, I don't believe Garoppolo is due for a new contract. I could be wrong. Um, you know, all parties could agree, let's get this thing done now and push it out an extra two years and make him under contract for five more years. Very possible, especially if the new CBA has some some reasons to do so. Uh, I think most likely this is going to play out at least one more year under this current contract. He's set to make 25 and change next year in cash. He's got a $26 million cap hit, um, all totally tenable. I'm sure he's happy with that. I'm sure the 49ers are thrilled with that. That's team-friendly by all standards right now for a starting quarterback. So uh, I, I think what we're looking at right now is a situation where even if Garoppolo wins, certainly his status will rise, his expectations will rise for 2020. But I don't think because of the three years remaining that it's going to do anything with him contractually. Certainly it's going to help with that next contract, maybe after 2020, right? Two years left on the deal. You can do a three-year, four-year extension on that. Give him a, a, a nice big signing bonus if they want to go that route or front load a nice big roster bonus to sort of, you know, restructure how things look. Uh, but I don't think that will happen in the next couple months, regardless of how tomorrow plays out. So that's sort of the, the quarterback breakdown. There is a little bit of a, a backup quarterback discussion to happen in, in Kansas City. Look, the Chiefs don't have a, t- a ton to work with. That's just, that's just life. They've got 47 guys under contract right now in 2020. Um, you've got to think Sammy Watkins is not going to be one of them. So you can drop that down to 46 right there. And with Sammy's 14 million saved, you're talking about 33 million to work with, uh, which sounds halfway decent, except for, you know, you've got Chris Jones to take care of. And if you've got, if you're going to franchise tag him, that's half of your money right there. That's half of your cap space. So, um, there's work to do. There's work to do. And if you're going to get some of these deals done, the, the backup quarterback, Chad Henney, who, you know, you can say what you want. He, he was injured early on, um, and Mahomes was injured as well. So they had to turn to, you know, plan B and C here. They're going to need a viable backup quarterback for Patrick Mahomes. Every team needs a backup quarterback. But if you've got a legitimate starting quarterback, if you're a contender and your quarterback is one of the reasons you're a contender – um, I'm looking at Carson Wentz. I'm looking at any of those major, major. I mean, even Jacoby Brissett needed a backup quarterback because there were expectations with that team. Um, teams that are contending know how important that plan B option is at the quarterback position. If they're going to let Chad Henney walk, which they may have to, because I'm not sure they can bring him back on his, his normal four to $5 million backup contract. Um, they're going to have to look elsewhere. And whether that's a draft pick that they can quickly get in the fold um, or whether it's one of these veterans that we've been talking about over and over and over here, um, we'll see. Th- that, that's going to be a very interesting discussion because, uh, you know, if Andy Dalton can't find a starting gig, and I, I know that's hard to believe, wh- would he agree to come and play behind a Patrick Mahomes? I don't know because the, the path to start isn't great, right? But there's going to be other options out there. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of like a Blake Bortles. Would he leave the Rams backup position to come to a Kansas City um, I just, just something to keep up an eye on for sure. It's going to be an area of need for the chiefs along with, you know, other holes they've got to fill, but you got to, you certainly have to have co- coverage for Mahomes, whether he's got a fancy new contract or not next year. So keep an eye on that as we break into March and, uh, the free agent market heats up a little bit here. But other than that, the quarterback's positions are pretty safe. Um, do I think a, a Mahomes contract comes this summer? If I had to guess right now, and again, this is all reliant on the CBA. If I had to guess, if the CBA continues to progress like we're hearing and things get done relatively, you know, June-ish, it's definitely possible before the season. Um, a late summer Mahomes extension, 
followed by or or saddled with a Deshaun Watson extension in Houston. That's that's I guess that's probably my I'm leaning towards that a late summer extension for Mahomes because the CBA got done quicker than expected. If not, I think we're waiting until you know this time next year to talk about those numbers. But uh, it's coming. There's there's no question. It's coming. It's not a matter of if. It's when and how much. So certainly something to keep an eye on, but I don't think that's going to be imminent because of the CBA, like I mentioned. Let's move on to running backs, which, eesh. I mean, you know, it's fun to talk Raheem Mostert, and it's an incredible story. His uh, his cap hit jumps to $3.2 million next year. There's a chance, and I think somewhat of an outside chance, that he is the the lone top dog running back on this team next year. Now, they've got cap space to work with, so I don't think it's necessary that they cut Tevin Coleman, but the injuries have been somewhat of a concern now for the past two seasons with Coleman. He's still only 26 going on 27. He's close to $5 million in, as a cap hit next year, which is a bit high. Um, you know, it's a, it's a million and a half more than what he's worth right now. Um, I just think because they've got the space and because of the offense Shanahan runs, which sort of scatters and, and shifts on a week-to-week basis, they probably keep Coleman knowing that Jarek McKinnon is certainly not going to be kept, um, and you're going to clear a substantial amount of money to, to move on from him. So my guess would be of the, f- the big four right now in San Francisco, which is Mostert, it's Coleman, it's McKinnon, and it's Breida, uh, Breed is on an, on an RFA, a restricted free agent. So it's going to be interesting how they handle his situation. But I think in the long run here, he will not be back with San Francisco. And boy, that's a name for some of these teams who are looking for a, a bruiser who can get outside and go. I'm um, thinking of somebody like the Bills who have to replace a guy like Frank Gore because of, you know, father time. Um, and, and a couple of teams like that who just need a maybe a 1A to, to t- number two option, similar to how Latavius Murray's being handled in New Orleans, um, things like that. But that's going to be a nice name for a team. Now, will will the 49ers tender him and force a team to put an offer sheet in? That'll be an interesting scenario as well. Uh, but I do think at the end of the day here, we're talking about Jarek McKinnon off the roster, which clears you know six oh, $6.5 million of cap. So you can cover yourself on Coleman and Mostert right there. That'll cover the cost for those two running backs. I do think those are the two running backs on the roster at the end of the day. And uh, we'll see what happens with the other two. But I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that McKinnon's out. I'm somewhat confident that they move on from Breida as well. But keep an eye on that. As for the Chiefs, uh, it's a bit of a mess. I mean, certainly they're not a run-first team. So I don't think anybody's super concerned about this. They, they should be a little concerned. Although it's got it's certainly gotten better with Damian Williams, um, I think they sort of figured out how to use him best to the point of where LaShawn McCoy has just been completely you know a DNP, and it sounds like he's going to be a DNP for the Super Bowl. They just uh, they don't have a need for him. I think his role has been usurped by Williams. Uh, he was brought in to sort of be that flexible guy out of the backfield. Uh, he's not much of a blocking back anymore. So really, it was more about extending the offense a little bit with McCoy early on. And Williams sort of settled into that role. So, you know, it's a positive that they don't need McCoy right now because their young players have sort of grown into the role. I do think they need, and I, I, I mentioned it already, they're going to have trouble getting, you know, a ton of new players in here as it is. But I do think they probably have to address some sort of veteran presence with the running back in the offseason. Uh, but Williams will certainly be the guy to start with. And McCoy falls off. He'll be a UFA. He, he, uh, he had $3 million guaranteed this year on a one-year deal. So... He'll be looking for work next year unless he, you know, unless they think they can bring him back on a cheaper deal and find a, a different role for him. That doesn't seem to, to make much sense if they can't find a role for him now. But, uh, you know, they'll be looking for some sort of cheap veteran minimum presence to bring in to go with Williams for, for 2020 for sure. Okay, let's uh, let's tackle the wide receivers because there's some uh, there's some X factor moves on each of these teams heading into the Super Bowl. Um, I want to take a look at real quickly. Well, let's talk about this first. I've mentioned Watkins. I mean, not only do I think they're going to release him because of the cap and <laughs> and the cash, it sounds like he might not even want to play football next year, which is a really interesting, uh, you know, PR move leading into the Super Bowl. But well, it's been said that he may want to take twenty twenty off for whatever reason. Um, and you know, is that I'm quitting before you can fire me kind of thing? I don't know, but. <laughs> 
you know, he's got a $21 million cap hit next year, $14 million cash to be earned. Uh, there's no way. He is the fourth option on this offense right now from in terms of the passing game and actually the running game as well. So uh, makes no sense at those numbers to keep him around. Will he take a pay cut and stay? It would help. It would help, but it's going to have to be significant because they absolutely need that $14 million of cap right now. They just they, they need it. They need it for Chris, Chris Jones. They need it for uh, holes they have to fill. They need it for a couple of players they want to resign. It's just, a, it's just life right now. It's the business side of it. So unless it's a significant pay cut from Watkins, I would imagine he's off this roster completely. Uh, whether or not he plays football or not is, to me, a completely separate issue. This is a business move before anything else. So... Um, that's that's the chief side of the ball. That's really the, the notable wide receiver point to make there. Um, and then if you flip to the 49ers, I think the one we hit, we, well, there, there's two. There's a positive and a negative. Well, there's probably two negatives now that I look. Uh, I, I can't imagine Marquise Goodwin's brought back at $4.9 million. He's just, you know, injuries have settled in. It's just been a part of his career, unfortunately. Um, so I have to imagine they move on from him. It's about... It's about Oof, 3.3 million saved on him, which will help. Uh, the other guy to watch is Dante Pettis, who was a, I believe, a second round pick for the 49ers a couple of years back. Yeah, 2018, number 44 overall pick. Uh, and he's been completely MIA. He's just, he hasn't found himself in this offense. Uh, he's been usurped by a couple of other players, Debo Samuel being the big one. Uh, he's probably going to fall off this roster. It's not going to be a ton of savings. You know, they're going to save about 350 grand or, you know, thousand dollars to move on from him. This is a football move. This isn't, you know, this is a little bit of business with a lot of football. They just simply, they, they clearly need to find another option to fill that role as a number four wide receiver in the offense. So I expect that to be a move as well as Goodwin. And if you talk about those numbers combined, you're getting yourself about, you know, 3.75 million of cap to work with. Uh, the, the question mark with the wide receivers in San Francisco in 2020 will be Emmanuel Sanders, who I think is is about to have a really nice Super Bowl. It just feels like the, the chips are aligning for Garoppolo and Sanders to have a nice working relationship in this final game. Look, he's got Super Bowl experience um, on a big, big stage. He was brought in not only to be a, a number one target, but a veteran presence for this arsenal. Uh, and certainly that's helped Debo Samuel. He's, he's been a breakout candidate ever since Sanders stepped foot in the uniform. Uh, I would imagine it's not going to take I mean, a Brinks truck to keep Emmanuel Sanders on this roster. He is, uh, he's valuing right where his current contract lives, which is $10 million a year. Think of him like a Julian Edelman who has never broken the bank, and you can say that's a Patriots thing, but, you know, he's accepting these, this money. He wants to be with Tom Brady. And he's accepting the fact that he's only worth eight to nine to, you know, eight to nine million a year. It's even under eight now with this latest contract. And he's 33 years old, having signed before this season. So you've got Emmanuel Sanders now who needs a contract. He is 32 going on 33. So to me, that's the comp. It's do you want to stick around in this offense, which clearly is ticking? Um, you know, you're not going to have Hall of Fame numbers in this offense. It's just not how it's going to work. But if you've got a relationship with Garoppolo, that's working. Um, if you're the clear number one target, the veteran target, I don't think they're going to go and get somebody bigger and better than that. It doesn't seem likely this is working right now. Uh, I think this relationship probably continues and this marriage moves on. Um, if it has to get to $10 million a year, you know, which is a little higher than the Edelman numbers I'm talking about, that's fine. We're, we're cap adjusting anyway. We're going to get ourselves near $200 million cap anyway. So the, the, to me, his fair value $10 million per year sounds about right. Um, it's going to be way more than any other wide receiver on the roster, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, a two-year deal makes sense. Lock him in. Maybe it's three with, you know, a year and a half guaranteed. That's perfectly fine as well. I just think this is a relationship that needs to continue for all the reasons I've talked about. And that's, I th that's the big one to watch on the 49ers side of it. I think you're going to see a couple of cuts. Like I said, Goodwin and Pettis. Uh, and they'll, they'll, they'll re-sign Sanders and move forward with Sanders and Samuel and Bourne and bring in some other option, whether that's a draft pick, whether that's one of the, uh, you know, B's and C's free agents out there, someone who falls off a roster maybe. But keep the one, keep the one and two together when you have it working this well. Okay, tight ends. Boy, oh boy, do we have some good ones heading to the Super Bowl here. This is, to me, it's maybe the story to watch is each team's respective tight end because there's MVP candidates in each 
you know, George Kittle is, is doesn't he's not required for a contract after the season, but you can sort of feel like it's coming. Um, he's got the personnel. He's got he's a mini Gronk is what he is, and you know that's I'm not reaching to say that right now, but he's a mini Gronk. Um, he's on the he'll be heading into the last year of his contract, which has been phenomenal. He's a fifth round pick, folks, number one forty six overall. So for so what he's could done in comparison to where he started has been astronomical. Travis Kelsey, you know, got himself that nice extension. So he's the he's essentially the benchmark for Kittle, and we're going to cap adjust it appropriately. Jimmy Graham at ten million a year has been the highest average paid tight end for three years now, and that's a shame. This is a position that really needs to jump up. There's just some polarizing players out there right now. Um, and we've got two who need a contract. And like I said, Kittle, who basically needs a contract. He's one year left. But Austin Hooper, Hunter Henry, you know, they're leading the way right now with, with tight end money this offseason. They're, they're pending UFAs. And if Kittle gets into the conversation, now you've got three tight ends vying for a new contract in a cap-adjusted year where $200 million should make a lot of sense. I'd like to see this position get to 12, maybe even 13 million when you're talking about Kittle as an everything. I mean, Kittle is an outstanding blocker, certainly a playmaker, and he's a locker room personality as well. So all those things come into play when you're talking about resetting the market. And I, I, I liken him to the next version of Gronk, who for years and years was the highest paid player at his position on a team that didn't play, pay any of their players. <laughs> number one money. So if the Patriots felt it was worth it for their offense and their system and their franchise to go big on the tight end, I I just equate that to what the 49ers are trying to build as well. And if they value Kittle as much as we think they do, then he should reset this market and then some. So keep an eye on that. It's not required. He does have one more year left, but a nice big Super Bowl. Uh, If he's a factor, a major factor, as a lot of people think he will be, it's going to be hard not to give him a new deal this offseason. As for Kelsey, he's comfortable. Um, he's, he's got two more years left in this deal, which could scream extension. I think, I think there will be murmurs of it because he has been just so darn valuable to this offense and certainly to Mahomes as he's adjusted to the league. Uh, Kelsey's 30 now, so he'll be 31 in the, in the next season. A little bit of a red flag, but not too bad. He's held up nicely. Um, you know, they, they move the ball around so much now that he's not getting himself killed out there. I, I do think at some point you're going to have to restructure him. And he does carry a, a cap hit of over $11 million this year. So if that new CBA comes, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect an, an extension, a restructure before that CBA because they'll have to be 30% rule compliant which makes it a little bit more difficult to get, to get yourself a restructure that actually clears you enough cap space. Uh, but if they want to just rip this thing up and give him a brand new four-year deal for cap purposes and for you know football purposes, we want to get to keep this guy around for a couple more years. That's certainly something. Mean, I am watching that. I don't think it's super likely, but it's, it's likely in my opinion. Not super likely, but likely. <laughs> uh, like I said, they could stand to clear a couple of million in cap, and certainly he's a guy that you want around for a few more years. So keep an eye on that one. So both Kittle and Kelsey are maybes for after the 2020 Super Bowl. And both are definite must-see watches for the Super Bowl for a lot of reasons. All right. Offensive line, nothing super crazy. Um, for the most part, people are locked in. Uh, look, the Chiefs just have a gigantic list of free agents for 2020. So if you haven't gone to our site and... and and gone to the Chiefs free agent page, you, you, uh, you're going to need some time. I mean, they just have, you know, two, essentially two dozen free agents, and most of them matter to some degree. You know, Chris Jones is by far the, the, you know, the name on the list, but there's plenty of others. There's plenty of others here. I mean, even to the point of uh, Kelsey's backup in Blake Bell, who's shown he can do some things. But we're talking Terrell Suggs, Morris Claiborne. There's three legitimate cornerbacks on this list, and Claiborne, Kendall Fuller, and Brashad Breland. Uh, that's going to be a, a major area of need. You've got Reggie Ragland and the inside linebackers there. Uh, Emmanuel Ogba. They, many of these players were injured, unfortunately. Mike Pennell, fill, Pennell filled in for him. Uh, he's a UFA after this year. They just did a lot of one-year deals or one- to two-year deals in the past couple of seasons to sort of get themselves into this window. Now they're here. Now they need to get 
all these holes filled in probably before the Mahomes contract kicks in. So um, take a t- take some time and look at this Chiefs free agent page and sort of figure out who's who. Uh, in terms of the offensive line, though, uh, we're talking about Stefan Wisniewski, who's the, the starting center. And that's really not something you want to mess with too much. If a quarterback has a good relationship with the center, generally speaking, you don't want to break up that marriage. Now, he's 31. That's not ancient for offensive linemen. So I have to imagine that, that they're going to want to bring him back. But it's going to cost. It's just it's going to cost. I mean, center money has cranked up. It's over $10 million now with Mitch Morris and Buffalo. Um, there's a couple more free agents out there who could, could drive that price even higher. Um, I don't think he's worth top-of-the-line money. I wouldn't imagine so. He was essentially a fill-in at this point. I mean, they signed, he was signed in October because of injuries. So they do have other options on this roster. It will be interesting to see, though, what Patrick Mahomes says. And I have to imagine he'll have a say in this. You know, if he's more comfortable with one versus the other, um, you know, there's a reason they let Mitch Morse walk last year. There, there, were, there was another viable center in place in Austin Ryder. Ryder's hurt. Um, he's cheaper than Wisniewski. He's locked in. But, you know, he's only in for one more year. So 28 years old, and, and he'll be 28 next year. Carries about two point seven million. Uh, you know, I I know I'm spending a lot of time on a center. It's become more and more important, not just for the quarterback, but as these defenses have, you know, moved from rushing the edge to rushing through the middle. The middle of that offensive line has just been everything. I mean, you've got to have two solid guards and a solid center, or you're nothing right now. I know the left tackle is still king, but it's it's worth talking about with with length when you're talking about filling holes. If your guards aren't aren't able to hold up and aren't able to move and pull and everything you need them to do, it shows because your offense has to stay simple. And that's not what we were going to see tomorrow. That is, we're going to see two wide-open, intricate, complex offenses with plenty of bells and whistles. So uh, when you're talking about the interior of the offensive line for either of these teams, it's important. It matters. And both of these teams have uh, pending free agents in the interior of their offensive line, more so with the 49ers. And there we're talking Ben Garland, the center. Uh, we're talking a couple of the guards as well. Uh, it's going to be an area of concern. So something to keep an eye on. Look, uh, before the season, we have our, our little roundtable preseason discussion. And we, we were very con- – Paul, Paul, Kevin, and myself, the uh, normal coasts here on the Spot Trip podcast, we, had a, we were really at odds with how the Patriots were built. They had let three out of the five offensive linemen go. They, were, they didn't really go and replace them with names. They sort of said, we're going we're gonna to fill in the blanks with what we have and a couple of uh, you know, one-year veteran men's. To me, it showed this year. To me, that was the single reason that that team couldn't get themselves to normal finish line. Um, and, I, and I look more at the run game than the pass game. Any offensive line is going to look good with Brady because of his release point. Um, but that team could not run the ball. Even on, on weeks that they wanted to run the ball, they simply couldn't do it. And I, to me, I attribute that a lot to a, a failing offensive line, which is something I identified early on. Um, I'm, I'm hoping when I'm looking at the 49ers and, and the Chiefs, but more so the 49ers next year, that that's not what I'm thinking. That I'm, I'm not sitting here thinking, okay, their weapons might be here, their defense looks great, but is that offensive line as solid, as sturdy as it was in 2019? Because if it's not, that's a, to me, that's a fail. That's a mess. You, you, can't, you just can't do it. You just can't patchwork an offensive line, even if you've got a great quarterback, even if you've got a running game that you think can work no matter what. The proof is in the pudding. We've seen it before. We've seen it every, every, every year. There's one or two teams that try to skimp out. I mean, I, I'm looking at Seattle every year, right? They just cannot find the right people to put in front of Russell Wilson. It's been, it was a little better this year, but, man, over the course of his career, he has had to do way more than necessary because of a failing offensive line. So look no further than him for the example I'm trying to make here. But I'm, I'm hoping in eight months when I go to assess these rosters and what happened in free agency and trades and the draft and all that, that neither of these teams are at a lower level with their offensive line. That's really where I start to look at, and then I look up from there when I, when I evaluate these teams. I don't think that'll be the case. The 49ers have plenty to work with. Um, and like I said... The Chiefs can let Wisniewski walk if they think Ryder is going to be a, a long-term option, which very well could be, and look for an extension there as well if the case. All right, let's go to these D-lines, which are crazy exciting. 
just, uh, I mean, the, the Chiefs were terrible. They were terrible at stopping the run, at stopping the screen, at holding a tight end in bay, you know, keeping a, a tight end at bay for six to seven weeks. I mean, we, they, we were laughing at them. We were giving them the business in the media, uh, you know, from a contractual standpoint, from a team-building standpoint. And they just flat-out turned it around. They're above average in really all facets of their defense. Now, they're cer- certainly going to get burned here and there, especially deep. Um, but Tyron Matthew has held the fort in the back for the most part. And the linebackers and the defensive line, even without Chris Jones these past couple of weeks, have really held the fort. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they can do against a, a shifty 49ers offense that can do a little bit of everything. But I give them as much credit as, as they deserve because they have they turned this thing completely around. They were at a point where a hurt Mahomes and a failing defense was tanking this season. We thought they were going to be one of those teams that you know, had such high expectations and then missed the postseason. They were at a point where that was a possibility. And certainly that's not what happened. But um, I, I'm all in on this, on, the, on this defensive line, and I'm worried that it's not going to ha- include Chris Jones next year. Um, you know, they, they swapped D Ford for Frank Clark, essentially, and that's fine. I don't know if that – I mean, I haven't analyzed the numbers on that, really, outside of what the trades were and what the, what the contracts ended up being for each of them, respectively. But I, I just wonder – if it was, we need, to, we, we need to get this guy out of town in D4 because of what happened in the postseason. Maybe there was some kind of disconnect in the locker room. Who knows? It just seemed somewhat suspicious that, you know, one guy out, one guy in, it seemed like the same exact person. They basically got the same exact contracts. Um, so I'm not sure that was as much of a business move as it was a football locker room move. Uh, but they've shown they, they will pay is my point. Uh, they did pay Frank Clark. Uh, they didn't pay Justin Houston this time. So they're, they're going to pick and choose. My guess is they're, de- they're going to tag Chris Jones and at least try to get this thing through the door. And if they can't lock down a somewhat team-friendly deal with him, which they're going to have to get. I mean, just can't go and pay top-of-the-line money right now in their, in their current financial state. But if they can't get a team-friendly deal, I think we could see a tag and trade here with Chris Jones. I really, really do. Uh, there are teams that have money that have cap availability, that would love to shore up their defensive line with a guy like Jones. Uh, it might not be a terrible idea for Kansas City. I understand that losing him would be detrimental to a 17-game season, which I believe we're going to have, by the way. But it may be the right business move, not only because of the assets you can get back for that, but also because of the, the cap you'll be saving, the amount of room you'll have left over, to go and patchwork, you know, two guys to try to fill in the blanks there. A guy like maybe Jordan Phillips out of Buffalo. Uh, you know, Sheldon Richardson is going to be a free agent. You could even go and try to give a, a somewhat tenable contract to like a Leonard Williams. There's 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 players out there. There's players out there. So um, I like it. Uh, we'll see what happens. There's really uh, very little to discuss in San Francisco. I mean, this is an all-time defensive line. The only name we need, really need to talk about is going to be is, uh, is Armstead, Eric Armstead, who's a, a UFA. Does he have enough snaps on this team? Is their spot on this team worthy of a major extension? That's the, that's the decision for John Lynch right now. Uh, he had a heck of a year. He had a heck of a year. Really, everyone on this line did. They all played a role and, and, and certainly outplayed that role. I mean, Eric Armstead... <clears throat> Took 77% of the snaps, had 10 sacks, 54 tackles, two forced fumbles, okay? Uh, I mean, he's one of the th- highest-graded edge players in the league this year because of it. He's a number, former number one, number 17 overall pick. Uh, this was by far his best year. It's always good to have your best year in a contract year. I, I, I don't know how to, how, how to read this one. I really don't. If we're talking about what happens in March... My, my guess is he walks, and he is he is at least allowed to go and see what's out there for him. Um, I don't have a beat on his number right now. I just don't because I, I think he's probably in the perfect scenario right now for him. Finally, right? He's in a role, and he's got coverage around him, and that's a big that's a big part of this, right? Nick Bo- having Nick Bosa on the other side there, that you, you can't discount that. There, there's a reason he had Eric Armstead had the year he had, 
And it's not because he finally figured the NFL out. Certainly he's more experienced and some things settled in for him, slowed down for him. But there's a, there's a reason that Bosa comes into town and that entire defensive line blows up um, subsequently. So I, I think if he's going to stay, it's going to have to be on a, on a fairly team-friendly deal. It's going to be one of John Lynch's patented, front-loaded, you know, five-year deals that, that's actually a one-year deal. That's fine. That's how San Francisco operates. But he's going to have to probably cut a few million off to stay in the role he's currently in. Is it worth it to him? I don't know. It's probably the one time he go out and try to get paid. So I, I expect him to at least go and be allowed to look elsewhere. And whether or not he comes back will be certainly up to him. But that's the name to watch on the uh, 49ers defensive line. Did you know that tomorrow's Super Bowl features the San Francisco 49ers who spent $222 million of cap in 2019, first in the league, versus the Kansas City Chiefs who spent $167 million of cap, the lowest in the NFL. Number one versus number 32 in terms of cap spending dollars in 2019. Pretty crazy when you think about it because, you know, we are in a, we're in a league where the league cap is $188.2 million. So the fact that San Francisco spent 222 this year means they had a ridiculous adjusted salary cap. And, oh, by the way, they still had $9 million to work, o- to work with and roll over. Their adjusted cap was $231 million this year, and they spent 222 of it, <laughs> okay? So you can understand. I mean, it's a testament to being really bad, accruing a ton of cap space, rolling it over, rolling it over, rolling it over, making smart signs, right? I mean, they they put a ton into their free agents market this year, and that's where you're seeing a lot of the spending. And also, this is not because of bloated back-end contracts. This is because of bloated front-end contracts. These are new contracts and where they had players take a ton of the cap right now, and that's why you're seeing that big number in 2019. And look, you're going to see much of it again in 2020, especially if they sign somebody like an Emmanuel Sanders and an Armstead to bring back. All right, there's, there's going to be a ton to, to be spent. They're already sitting ninth in cap allocated in 2020 with 49 players assigned. So there's going to be plenty more signing in San Francisco. It's just how they operate. Uh, they keep everything close to the vest in terms of their dollars and their cap. And as contracts progress, they either cut them, extend them, or they let them ride, which is obviously the three options. And if they let them ride, they're going to be crazy team-friendly because of the way they've structured those deals. It's just how they've operated for a very long time. And when they win, those contracts look phenomenal. When they don't win, Jimmy Garoppolo's $40 million in for, $42 million in the first year looked ridiculous. Okay, But you have to understand that that's the way they want to do things because the winning makes, becomes even sweeter. They can, they can win with a tight-knit budget, Everything's compacted into a couple of seasons, like this year, for instance. And if they win right now, having, having physically, fiscally put all of their chips in, more than anyone else in football, $222 million, this will be a big win for everybody, not just you know, the players on the field and everybody around it, but this will be a win for their financial structure. This is what they wanted to happen. They wanted to, to be able to dictate the year that they put all their chips in and say, this is the year we go for it. Similar and obviously with different (laughs) ramifications, but similar to how the Houston Astros worked in baseball. All right, they identified a three-year process, and on that third year, they went and got their Verlander, and they said, we're going to put everything in right now. We know that the the time to spend cash, even though we're a small market, is right now, and we think we can get this thing done, and certainly they did. Now, we think they cheated to get there. (laughs) That's a whole different animal, Um, but that's a similar mindset, right? You've got to understand that there's a buildup to it, and then there's, a, there's an identified year to go. This was the go year for the 49ers fiscally. And if it does pan out, which many, te- many people think it will tomorrow, it'll be a big, big victory for them. So something to keep an eye on for 2020. Uh, we'll certainly run those numbers again every couple of months to see how things are, are, are rolling out. Um, just, just off the top here for 2020, uh, who does have the 2020 cap allocation crown right now? Let's take a quick look. That goes to... The Jacksonville Jaguars, 215 already in 2020 allocated. I'm going to, have to go out there on a ledge and say that that's going to come down quite a bit in the next couple of weeks. Uh, major cuts coming in Jacksonville. So we'll have probably an entire show on them because there's going to be 
three to four major, major names, probably one of them not being Nick Foles, but um, I imagine they will not be up there. The, uh, the, the second-place finisher right now is Minnesota. That's a team to watch. They're, they may be at a point where 20, in 2020 they're going to be the 49ers version of this, right? They're going to put all their chips in. Um, this is the final year of Cousins' contract. If they don't extend him, you, you know where they stand. You know, you know that if they don't extend Kirk Cousins, that they, they want to see how this thing finishes off in 2020, and if it doesn't work then, they're probably going to rip that Band-Aid off. So keep an eye on that. They, I expect them to be the, the king of the cap allocations in 2020, but we'll see how that unfolds. So just a quick did you know on Super Bowl 54 and how the finances really work. It's really a, a crazy dynamic how we've got number one versus number 32 in, in terms of 2019 cap dollars. But that's what we're about to see tomorrow. All right, let's move into some linebackers. Um, Nothing really crazy to talk about. I mentioned Reggie Ragland is going to be a free agent. Um, he's more of a reserve guy now anyway. There's just been They've had some good fortunes on the, in linebackers in Kansas City over the past couple of seasons, and things have worked out where they've had to get cheaper. Um, San Francisco, boy, they didn't even get the, the, the fruit, the benefits of Quan Alexander for the whole season because of an injury here late. But that, that contract certainly worked out to their benefit. That was a crazy front-loaded contract to the point of where it smelled and looked like a five-year contract, excuse me, a four-year contract, but it could have been a one-and-done on $15 million. I imagine they keep him around now because, listen to this, the cap hits drop from $11 million down to $4.5 million next year. All right, they get a ton of savings because of the way they structured this contract. So really something to keep an eye on. They restructured him before the end of 2019 to save a ton of money on this. So they pushed some of that dead cap down the line a little bit. But they, uh, this is what you can do when you put a lot of money in year one. You can move some of the money around to give yourself space else, elsewhere. That's exactly what they did with Quan Alexander. It was a built-in restructure that kicked in at the end of the 2019 regular season. So uh, I don't expect too much movement here. Certainly there's some small backup ro- roles that need to get replaced. But um, in terms of the linebacker position, everybody should be pretty status quo, and it's a really nice rotation for both teams. So will, will, will any of them be MVPs tomorrow? I highly doubt that. But, you know, put your money wherever you want to. Uh, let's keep going. The secondaries are crazy polarizing, as you know. We can start with San Francisco and the Richard Sherman stuff. We've talked in length about his self-negotiated contract. Um, yeah, I killed him. And, I, and I'll, I'll stand by it. Um, a player of that girth with, I understand the injuries. I understand what he was coming back from. I understand that he was going to be north of 30 by the time this contract kicked in. And I, I probably uh, underestimated just how many people were, were vying for his, his duties at the time. I think a lot of teams saw the injury as a major red flag. Uh, so when he locked in three for 27 with San Francisco and I saw the structure and I saw how incentive-based it was and I saw how he, he only signed a $3 million signing bonus, how he, how he was only set up to get, you know, a little over $8 million in the first year, uh, it was a little scary <laughs> because, you know, I had him valued at $14 million a year coming into 2018. So, you know, it wasn't about making me look bad. It was about did he really go and maximize his value as, as a self-negotiator. Certainly it's worked out, you know, a little better in 2019. He made himself almost $13 million this past season, and that doesn't include the playoff money he's already locked in. So it's looking good, and he's, he's, it looks like he's about to settle, settle in for about $9 million more next year when he'll be 32 years old. I don't imagine either him or the 49ers will gawk at that too much. I think they're, uh, they're happy to bring him back on that price. He'll be happy to make the $9 million if he can hit his incentives again. I, I imagine everything stays intact right there. Um, Tchaikovsky Tart, different story. Uh, he's one of those guys that will probably be picked on tomorrow. And if you had to, if you had to pick a guy in the back of that secondary in, in San Francisco for Patrick Mahomes to find, it's probably going to be wherever he goes. And my guess is that's the how the air attack for the for the, for the Chiefs are going to operate. So, if you're just looking for some game planning, uh, that's one I would keep an eye on for sure. Um, and that's a, that's an area that they may have to uh, upgrade if they're looking to fill some holes. They may need to go out and get a, a viable shutdown safety to go with that with the cornerbacks they have in place. Jimmy Ward's a UFA. He's going to be 30 years old in 2020. 
Um, outside of that, you've got Jason Verrett, who's 29, hit the, hit the IR earlier this year for the 49ers. He didn't really get to see the best of him. And that was a, I think that was a guy who was probably vying for a number one spot there too. So do you bring him back on a one-year deal again and see if he can get something out of him? I don't know. That injury probably has some people scared off again. My guess is you're going to see at least a cornerback and a, and a safety come into the 49ers via free agency, maybe as well, you know, early in the draft as well. But uh, as good as this secondary has been, they're just getting up there a little bit in age, you know, Sherman included. So they're going to have to address it somewhere. Is it going to be a top of the market? For, no, I don't think they're going to make a splash in free agency anywhere on their defense. They just don't need to. Um, but I do think they'll shore it up with some depth, maybe a, you know, maybe a 9 to $10 million guy in the secondary just to say, you know, we're going to make sure this thing is good as gold for a whole other season because does anybody believe that the 49ers are going to be you know, taking a step back next year? I don't think right now we can say that. So that's an area I think they do look to address. Boy, with the Chiefs, I mentioned how there's three cornerbacks ready to hit that open market. Um, they just don't have the finances to go out there and make a splash, unfortunately. Now, they can move some some things around. Like I said, if you take Chris Jones out of the equation and, and you throw in a couple of uh, you know cheaper options on the defensive line, uh, I, I would imagine they want to upgrade the cornerback position. I would imagine. I mean, I mentioned Matthew before. He's been a ball hawk. He's been excellent. And I expect him to have a huge Super Bowl tomorrow. But the outsides have been have been beaten. They were a big problem early on when this defense was struggling. They've been better, but they haven't been great coming down the stretch here. And uh, that's a big point of concern for Chiefs fans and, and the Chiefs as a whole with guys like Debo Samuel and Kendrick Bourne tomorrow probably ready to stream down that sideline. Uh, I, I do think they're going to try to find a way to free up enough space to get themselves a legitimate cornerback. Uh, is it going to be via the draft? I don't know because, you know, it, it, many of those top cornerbacks will be gone early. You're going to have to find, try to hit some gold in the middle rounds if you're, if you're the Chiefs. Uh, they probably will go that route because, like, like I said, free agency is just not going to be an option for a lot, of, a lot of holes they need to fill. But I do expect a cornerback to come in in Kansas City, and like I said, probably a cornerback and a safety for San Francisco. Special teams, kickers and punters are people too. Robbie Gold, by the way, don't sleep on Robbie Gold tomorrow. Not MVP, but I'm thinking like a DFS play. I'm thinking like, a, you know, if they go to overtime, look out, right? This is a one-point spread. You can get 8-1 to odds on overtime tomorrow. Go and spend your money, people. Do it. I like it, and keep an eye on Robbie Gold. I know he's up there in age, but as of now, you know, the, he, he's, a, he's 5.1 million other cap next year, Robbie. I guess that's a maybe. He's been excellent. He's been outstanding, especially from deep. So there's no reason they wouldn't bring him back outside of the fact that they don't think they should afford him at 5.1 million. He's 38 years old. So I guess that's another reason not to bring a guy back, but or he's going to be 38. Um, my guess is he's back if he wants to be. They, they don't touch that number, and they let the thing they let the contract void after that. Uh, same goes for Butker in Kansas City. He's certainly been good enough. Um, and in an era where kickers are being tossed around like, a, you know, fill in the blank, every week we see one, one or two kickers being kicked out the door. So, you know, Butker just locked in a five-year contract this season, an extension as well that runs through 2024. So it, it wouldn't even make financial sense from dead cap standpoint to release him right now. Um, he's on this roster for at least two more seasons, in my opinion, based on how this contract is structured. So probably not too much to talk about from the kicker standpoint. Uh, and I would think much of the same from the punters. They both got pretty nicely paid punters. Um, look, these are two teams that value special teams. The, the, the Patriots have always done that. The Ravens have done that consistently. It just seems like the good teams do. They find they find people they like, they groom them, they slow play them, they keep them healthy, and they pay them. I mean, they are not afraid to pay the special teams players. So it's no different here. I'm not surprised at all that I'm talking about high-paid kickers, even in their mid, mid to upper 30s, and a kicker in Butker who just got a gigantic extension. So it's just it's sort of how the, the recipe rolls out when you, when you find good teams who have built themselves the right way and are in, in position to win. So uh, that's really how that unfolds. And that this is kind of the end here. I hope I didn't bore you too much with all these numbers, but this is, this is really 
how I assess these teams. And I do it, you know, way more than I probably should. And, uh, you know, sitting, sitting on the couch, watching probably other sports, trying to keep up with basketball as I assess football teams. But this is really what I kind of do regularly with these teams. And I felt no better time to do it with these two teams than prior to their Super Bowl appearance. So they're, they're crazy interesting. They're crazy close. Right. I mean, we can talk about the numbers. I didn't want to go number to number with the positional spending, but that's something you can certainly do on spot track. If you want to see how these things sort of break out between the two. Um, Look, it's it's similar in some instances and really different in a lot of others. Right. The Chiefs have more veterans. They're an older team, although the secondary of the 49ers would probably say otherwise. Um, You know, obviously, Garoppolo's much older than Mahomes. Garoppolo costs a lot more than Mahomes. You can see where those variances sort of exist. That's not going to be the case probably this time next year. So, you know, if these are two teams that are contending next year, a fun exercise will be to see where they are then versus where they were today. Um, and certainly if, if they're relevant in 2020, we'll, we'll have that conversation. But nice to kind of go through this. Uh, you know, any questions with all this stuff I rambled off today, any of the dead cap information, any of the CBA. Uh, we, I did a, a show this past week where I kind of laid out all the different things that are going to happen this offseason because of the expiring CBA. No post-June June, June 1st dead cap. Incentives are going to change in 2020. Restructures are impacted in 2020 because of this. You're not going to see a ton of trades and contracts, you know, major contracts structured because of the expiring CBA. Number one, players just don't want to do it. They want to wait and see what this new CBA has in store or if a, if a gigantic cap increase comes with it, right? I mean, that could be a part of this. Um, and two, because of the finicky rules, the 30% increase rule and all that stuff, which I laid out in that podcast, um, there's just, it's just harder to get numbers done. It's harder to front load. It's harder to, you know, if you don't love the guy, but you want to keep him, it's harder to backload that contract for that guy. You don't want to put too much more investment in right now. Um, there's just a lot of things that are red flags and, and different. There's just a different set of rules this off season because of the expiring CBA. So if you're confused about any of that or you want to know more about that, I did do a show about that, uh, I believe, two shows ago now. Um, So feel free to dive into that whenever you get some time. But hopefully this is enjoyable. Have a great Super Bowl Sunday. My thanks to The Athletic. Get yourself 40% off your yearly subscription at theathletic.com slash spotrack. That's S-P-O-T-R-A-C. My name is Mike Giannetti. We'll be back soon.